The title of this morning's message is called Dead to the Law? Question mark. This morning I want to talk to you about being dead. <laughs> As believers, we are dead to the law of sin and death. And we are also dead to the old covenant law of Moses. It is so important that we understand our deadness to these laws. These laws bring bondage into our lives. The bondage of self-effort and the bondage of condemnation. And God wants us to live free from both of those things. Now the last time I ministered, we looked at how Jesus fulfilled the law of sin and death and triumphed over the law of sin and death on our behalf. So this message actually piggybacks off of that one. So I'm just going to do a little brief review so you can follow me. Last time we talked about the law of sin and death and that Adam is the one that activated the law of sin and death. God said to him, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. When you sin, you will surely die. That was the law. Now, he didn't use that terminology. We don't actually see that terminology until the New Testament. But that was the law that came over the entire world, the law of sin and death. And a law always works the same way all the time, no exceptions. What happened was when Adam ate of the tree, he was cut from his life source, which was God. He died. God said, when you eat of the tree, you're going to die. He did, spiritually speaking. Now, he didn't look dead. He didn't fall over dead, but he was dead. I like to think of it as a freshly cut flower because we look at freshly cut flowers and go, oh, they're so beautiful. They're so alive. But are they alive? Not really. They've been severed from their life force. They're technically dead. Their death will catch up to them later, but they're technically cut off that day. And that's what happened to Adam. Now, Adam could only produce after his kind. That was another law God instituted. There's the law of the seed. Apple seeds only produce apples. Orange seeds only produce oranges. Adam could only produce a lineage of people who were cut off from God. So everybody looked like they were alive, but God says if you're not connected to him, you're actually dead. So everyone was under this law of sin and death. The problem with being under the law of sin and death is if you die in the condition of being separated from God, then you stay in the condition of being separated from God. We call that a place called hell. See, it's actually dead people going through the doorway, what we call death, and actually remaining in the same condition. They were never brought back to life. That's a problem. God didn't like that. He says, I don't want everyone (laughs) being cut off from me, and I don't want everyone being cut off from me forever. That's not what I want. So he decided to fix it. (laughs) In order for us to be able to be connected to God, there had to be a way for us to die but not stay dead. You see, the law of sin and death says you died spiritually, you're spiritually separated, but now if you die, you stay that way. And that's a problem for God. He says, so there's got to be a way for you to die to be free from that law. Because see, sin brings forth death all the time. And so for us to get out from underneath that law, we have to die and not stay dead. That was God's plan. I'm going to find a way for you to die and not stay dead. And he did. Jesus came to fulfill this law for us. He took our sins to the cross, and he died. So he took the sin problem, 
and the sin problem had to come underneath the law of sin and death. So sins have to go into death. So that's what Jesus did for us. He took our sins in his body and he went to the grave with our sins. So that our sins have been completely separated from us. Because he was sinless himself, death could not hold him. When you die in sin, death holds you. That's the law that works, just like gravity. It works every time, all the time. <laughs> and so death holds whoever is in sin. So when Jesus went to the cross and died, he took our sins to its full end, which is death, but he himself was sinless. So the law of sin and death could not hold him in the ground. He himself was life. So he rose to life on our behalf as well as dying on our behalf. As believers, we need to believe the fact that we are actually dead to this law called sin and death. In Romans 6, it tells us that we have literally died with Christ and that the Holy Spirit took us and baptized us right into Jesus' death so that his physical death counts as our physical death, even though we're still here. This is good news. That means that law that was in place no longer applies to us. The law itself has been completely conquered. All of our sins have already been taken into death. So when the Father resurrected Jesus, he also resurrected us. You see, because Jesus took our sins into death, now we're sinless too. Now we're sinless too. Now we can be raised from the dead too. And we are already. We're already raised from the dead. Now our physical bodies are going to go through a doorway we call death. But it has no power over us because we have life and life more abundantly. We have already done all the real dying we're going to do. We did it at the cross in Jesus Christ. And now what we have is life and life more abundant. Yep, we're going to unzip this earth suit one of these days. <laughs> and we're going to step into glory. But death will have no power over us at all. And the life we have will someday catch up with our physical body too. And Jesus will raise it from the dead too. So life and life more abundantly, it just keeps going. Now this isn't just a nice idea. This isn't just a fairy tale. And sometimes when we hear the truth, we think, well, that's nice, but how does that really work in my life? It works in your life when you believe it. When Jesus comes to live inside of you and he convinces you, he convinces you that the law of sin and death no longer has any power over you, that you have already died. You already have eternal life right now. It begins when Jesus comes in, not when we die physically. We've already did the dying. We've already been set free from death. That's why the word says, death, oh, where is your sting? Pfft, you're nothing. We've already died in Christ. We've already been risen with Christ. We only have life in Christ. The old us that died with Jesus doesn't even exist anymore. It's dead. It's gone. I was thinking about this. Where did it go? <laughs> Where did that old me go? Well, it went into a place called death. It's completely gone. The old me ceased to exist. When God raised Jesus up, he raised me up too. Romans 8, 11 says this. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. It's the exact same spirit. Now we think about Jesus being raised from the dead. It seems far away. 
But if we understand the reality and the truth that not only happened for him, but it happened for us, it changes us. This Holy Spirit that lives inside of us now, he has his own law. I like this. He has his own law. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 2 says this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We're free from that old law. We're free from sin telling us what to do. We're free from all of that. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus speaks of a new governing authority on the inside of us. A new nature, a new life, a new heart, a new spirit. God even told us in the Old Testament that this was always his idea. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now what I want you to see in this scripture first here is that we don't have two hearts. He didn't just say, I'm going to give you a new heart in addition to your old crummy one. (laughs) He didn't say that. He specifically made, no, I'm not going to leave that old crummy spirit and man and (laughs) heart and nature. I'm not leaving that in there. That's going into the grave. I'm giving you a new heart, a new nature, and a new spirit. So I want you to understand, you do not have two natures on the inside of you. Your spirit man has a brand new nature. You have the very nature of God. You have been born of him. Of means comes from, comes out of. Our spirit comes out of God himself, just like children come out of their parents. So we have come out of God. We are like him in our spirit. So we don't have a good nature and a bad nature. The idea of having two natures means you never win. You're always trying to beat up the bad one. (laughs) Instead of understanding who we really are. Because when we understand we're really free from that law of sin and death, we can start to walk out that truth in our life. A heart that is soft. He says, I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, in New Testament context, when we say flesh, that's usually not a good thing. That usually means we're walking according to self-effort and our own understanding. Okay, It means to be carnal. But here he's talking about the difference between stone and flesh. Stone is hard, stubborn, rebellious. <laughs> that's what he got rid of. He killed it. And he gave us this heart that's flesh-like. It's soft. It's pliable. It's teachable. And it's completely righteous. God didn't stop with just giving us this new heart and this new spirit. He says, that's not enough. I'm going to put my spirit in there too. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and do them. We see the same idea in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, where he says, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He says, even if you have a new nature and a new spirit, you still need me because I'm the power. (laughs) I'm the one that you plug into and everything comes from. It's being re-plugged into that life source who is God himself. It's our oneness with God that results in bringing the last part of this verse into being. He says, cause you to walk in my statutes. Now the word cause here does not mean force. It means to furnish, to supply, 
to bring forth. In other words, he says, because you're plugged into me now, now when I ask you to do something, now when I ask you to walk in righteousness, now when I ask you to walk in love, now that I ask you to walk in forgiveness, guess what? You've got the power to do it. That's what he means. He says, I'm going to enable you to fulfill what I call you to do. We find the same idea in the New Testament in Philippians 2.13. It says this, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's all about what he does in us and what he does through us. So, God delivered us from the power of the law of sin and death by killing us in Christ. That sounds kind of funny to our ear. God killed me. (laughs) Praise God he did, though. He took out that old corrupted heart so that the law of sin and death would no longer operate on the inside of us. Now, the law of sin and death still exists. The law of sin and death didn't die or grow away. My old man did. The law of sin and death is still at work in the world. And according to the Apostle Paul, we can submit our members to it if we want to. It's really dumb (laughs) to submit your members to sin, but you can do it. In Romans 6.13 it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members unto God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no, no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. And when you read through this, you come to this, we are not under law. What law is he talking about? He's not actually talking about the law of sin and death anymore. He's talking about a different law. You see, there's a law of sin and death on the outside that used to affect our heart. It's in the world. Everyone is under it. And we got rid of that law. But then there's this other external law. We call it the Mosaic Covenant. (laughs) This law, the Mosaic Covenant, is also a law of sin and death. The Mosaic Law was an external set of rules and regulations that brought a temporary fix to the Israelites to help them deal with their permanent problem of the law of sin and death that was activated by Adam. Now, the Old Covenant law was always meant to be just temporary because Jesus was the real solution. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Old Covenant law in and of itself. Romans 7.12 tells us this, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. And then Paul goes on and says, Did that which is good, the law, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. Sin was always the problem producing death in me through what was good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What he's trying to tell us is that humans don't like to admit their own sinfulness, and so they need a little help. (laughs) And that is what the Old Covenant did. The Old Covenant helped people see God's nature, God's standards, God's idea of life and life more abundantly isn't the same as mine. Ours was much lower (laughs) than his was. So the Old Covenant law was given to the Israelites to show them you can never be good enough, ever. A lot of humanity doesn't believe that. I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. Why? Because I'm a good person. Can I show you some rules? 
can I go take a little test to see, are you really a good person? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen even a cookie out of the cookie jar? And when you take them to the law, if they're honest, they will admit that they have lied and they have stolen, have been unfaithful in some way. They're going to come up with, well, well, maybe I'm not quite as good, but I'm not as bad as somebody else. The law says it doesn't matter, because if you're going to go to heaven by the law, you've got to be perfect. Not just one time, but every time, every day, constantly. It's a law. No exceptions. <laughs> but the law only condemns people to death. The law says this is sin, there's that law again, the law of sin that brings death. Now you're sentenced to death. How do you get out of death? You go ahead and die. And you die in Jesus Christ. So the old covenant law can only find people guilty, but it can never provide a way out of sin's power. Only Jesus can do that. In Galatians 3.22 it says this, but the scripture says that the whole world is under the power of sin. And so the gift, which is salvation, which is promised on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, is given to those who believe. But before the time for faith came, the law kept us all locked up as prisoners, sentenced to death, until this coming faith should be revealed. And so the law was in charge of us until Christ came, in order that we might be put right with God through faith. Now that the time for faith is here, the law is no longer in charge of us. We can see from this scripture, it is very clear the old covenant law was valid until Jesus. Until Jesus. <laughs> because when he came, he instituted a whole new covenant based on faith. Faith in his sacrifice, faith in his works, faith in his obedience, instead of our own. Just because the old law the Old Covenant law is no longer in charge of us, it doesn't mean there's nothing in charge of us. I think this is probably the greatest fear when people talk about the message of grace today. They're like, oh, grace, you people think you can sin all you want. <laughs> no. See, they think because we don't have that law, we have no law. We have something very, very much greater than the Old covenant law. We have a brand new heart, we have a brand new spirit, and we have Almighty God living on the inside of us who says he's given us all the power we need to do whatever he asks us to do. Do we need old covenant rules and regulations to be approved by God? No, we've got the power. We're already plugged in. We have life and life more abundant. We have him as the governing authority. That's why we don't need the old covenant law. We have a whole brand new, we have the law of Christ, Christ himself. We have this brand new covenant, which is a covenant of grace. And grace empowers us to live righteously because we are righteous. External keeping of laws will never make us right with God. It is the indwelling Christ that makes us right with God. And it's the indwelling Christ that keeps us right with God, not following old covenant laws. In Romans 10, Paul says this. He's praying for his fellow Jews, and he says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's speaking of the Jews. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, 
they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Righteousness is by faith in Christ alone. Christ is the end of law keeping as a way of making ourselves right and as a way of keeping ourselves right. When we try to make ourselves right with God by trying to be good and pray long and fast and give and serve and read our Bible, go to church, when we think we do these things to gain God's favor, to make ourselves right or approved in God's sight, we have fallen into the same ignorance the Jews had. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. And because they were ignorant that righteousness was a gift, right standing with God was a present. It wasn't something they could earn. They fell into this ignorance. They kept trying to make themselves right with God through works and self-effort. The church at large, there are many Christians who are putting themselves under old covenant laws because they truly believe that it is up to them to maintain their righteousness, maintain the right standing with God by being good. We can't make ourselves righteous, which means to be right with God, and we can't keep ourselves righteous by obeying laws. Now that sounds funny to our ear. But when we understand that we have life, we have a new governor on the inside, we don't need an exterior governor. We don't need someone on the outside telling us what to do. We have an inside life that tells us what to do. In Romans 8, 3, it says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh, the body of Christ in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us. Okay, <laughs> we have to get the order right. If it's established in us, it'll come out of us. But it doesn't come from the outside in. Being good on the outside doesn't make the good on the inside. <laughs> the righteousness has to be inside first. And then it goes on, and who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's his point. The righteousness in us comes out of us by walking in the Spirit. What too many believers don't realize is that the old covenant with all of its laws has no authority over someone who has died to it. We died to the law of sin and death, and we died to the old covenant. We have a brand new covenant. The old covenant itself only arouses sin. When you tell somebody don't, they automatically want to. <laughs> Try going on a diet. <laughs> you can be just fine. You think, oh, I'll lose a few pounds. Go on a diet. You suddenly want everything you're not supposed to have. That's the power of putting yourself under a law. It only irritates you to actually want what you're not supposed to have when you didn't even want it when there wasn't a rule against it. That's the power of a law. Now, what I really want you to see is that sometimes it's easy for us to say, okay, I died to sin, but I don't know if I really died to these rules. You know, maybe I need to keep all these rules for God to be happy with me. The Apostle Paul had the same problem with the Jews in the New Testament. They had received Christ. They had the new life. They were plugged in. But they wanted everyone to follow all the old covenant rules. So Paul paints a picture for them. Romans 7 
starting with verse 1, it says this, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Now, he's specifically speaking to the Jews in particular, but not just to the Jews, because the Jews were trying to get all of the heathens who got saved, who didn't have any rules. <laughs> They're trying to get them to become like the Jews and under all these rules. So he's speaking to both, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Now, in this analogy, Paul is speaking from the woman's point of view. Because a woman in that day did not have the right of divorce. And I want you to remember that. The woman never had the right of divorce. And that's why he chose to tell this story this way. The only way for a woman to get out of a marriage covenant was for her husband to die. If he dies, she's free to enter into a new covenant. That was his point. She had no other way to get out of a covenant unless he died or she died. But if she died, she's dead. She's not marrying anybody. <laughs> so the only way out for her was for her husband to die. Verse 3 says this, So then, if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So when I read this, I think, why don't you just get a divorce, lady? <laughs> she couldn't do that. She couldn't do that. So she is actually guilty of marrying two men, which would cause you to get stoned. You end up dead either way. So if a woman left her first husband without a bill of divorce and married someone else, she would actually be an adulteress. Now, in this scenario, the woman's first husband is Mr. Old Covenant. That's why Paul uses this analogy. He knows they understand marriage covenant. He says, Mr. Old Covenant law won't let her go. You know, Mr. Old Covenant law is not nice. He demands perfection. He demands his way all the time. There's no mercy, there's no grace, there's no love, there's no kindness. It's law and rules, and that's it. That's Mr. Old Covenant. So the only way for her to be free from Mr. Old Covenant is to die. But how do you die and still live? You die with Christ. And that's his point. In verse 4, he goes on, Wherefore, my brethren, ye are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So in this scenario, Jesus comes to the woman's rescue. He takes her into death with himself, knowing that both of them will be raised to new life. And then the woman is completely free from her first husband and his old covenant, and completely free to enter this new permanent covenant of marriage with Christ. The woman never had the right of divorce. The only way to be free from your new husband would be if he would divorce you. And he will never divorce us. The woman in this story represents believers. We are completely free from the first covenant and all of its demands. Now, there are many believers who are trying really hard and with the best of intentions to submit to their old covenant husband, Mr. Law while they're married to their new covenant husband, Jesus. Remember this scenario? The woman is married to two men at once. 
Well, that's what the Jews were trying to do. They were trying to be married to Jesus and the Old Covenant. It doesn't work. What's interesting is that New Testament believers think that that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus wants us to obey our first husband. Does that sound right to you? (laughs) Can you imagine somebody's first husband coming over to your present husband's house and trying to take over? (laughs) No, it's not what God had in mind at all. But because they actually believe that Jesus isn't happy with them the way they are, They want to make themselves better, make themselves more holy, make themselves more righteous, make themselves more fit for this beautiful husband, Jesus. I want to make myself better. Not possible. You can't make yourself better. You can't make yourself righteous, and you can't make yourself better in God's eyes. And when you try, you're going to get frustrated and defeated because it doesn't work. It's not actually possible. So, Mr. Old Covenant, though, he has a lot of great tips. You know, first one, the woman says, I'm going to call Mr. Old Covenant Law and see what tips he has for me. And he has great tips. Do more. Try harder. Be perfect. You ever try to be perfect? It's exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting trying to be perfect because we never can in our own strength. Jesus has made us perfect in our heart and in our spirit. And he works out that perfection in us. We can't make ourselves perfect. If anything needs fixing in me, Jesus is the only one who can fix it. Not me. You see, Mr. Old Covenant, what he was designed to do was to show us how imperfect we really were. So that, just like the Apostle Paul, we would cry out, Who will save me from myself? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? He's like, I can't fix me. No matter how hard I try, I try to follow the rules. I try to be good. I try to be different. And all I keep doing is failing. And then Jesus says, exactly. You're right where I want you to be. Do you give up? Do you surrender? Do you say, okay, Jesus, let's do it your way? Because that's exactly where he wants us to be. Jesus, you fix me. Jesus, you heal me. Jesus, you lead me. Jesus, you be my life. Jesus, you be my approval. You see, Mr. Old Covenant Law just shows us how unfixable we really are and how impossible it is for us to fix ourselves. Jesus knew just how unfixable we were. This is the funny thing. Jesus knew exactly how unfixable we were before we came to him. They tried to tell us, you're not fixable. You're not fixable. We're going to have to kill you. (laughs) We have to kill you and start all over. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did. That's how unfixable humanity is without Jesus Christ. We're not fixable in our own strength. Only one who can save us and change us and make us righteous is Jesus himself. And he takes out that crummy old stony heart and he gives us a brand new one. That heart is righteous, pliable, teachable, leadable. We have a heart and a spirit that is one with Christ. He killed us with himself so we could be free from all that junk, free from all of those old laws, free from all of that condemnation, free from all of that sin. He says the only way to get out of that system is to die. Just like in our little story, the woman had to die 
and still live. And that's what happened to us. We died in Christ to all the Old Testament laws, the law of sin and death, all the requirements to try to make ourselves right. He entered into a new marriage covenant of grace. It's a covenant that supplies everything we need instead of demanding that we produce righteousness or right living on our own. God's grace is absolutely free, loving kindness, and it's also divine enablement. And Jesus, as our heavenly husband, absolutely loves us with an everlasting love, and he will never give us a bill of divorcement because his love and faithfulness isn't based on how well we perform. It's not based on how many rules we can keep. Sometimes I and my husband play this little game. My husband loves games, <laughs> so he always starts them. And he says to me, honey, why do you love me? And I'll say, because you're so cute. And he'll say, but what if I wasn't cute anymore? And I say, you'll always be cute to me. And he's like, but what if I get old and wrinkly? And I said, it doesn't matter. You'll always be cute to me. And so this game keeps going on <laughs> and on. And I found a way to win the game. So he'll say, so, so why do you love me? And I'll say, because you're mine. My father gave you to me. That is Christ's heart for us. Why does he love us? Because we're so cute. That helps. <laughs> he loves us because we're his. His father gave us to him. So why do so many Christians fall into this trap of trying to perform for God's approval? Because they're insecure. Because they're not really sure that the blood of Jesus can forgive all of their failures. Because they don't really understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross. When I was studying for this message, I was reading through Romans in a software program called eSword. It's a free, downloadable software that allows you to see the original Hebrew and Greek words and their definitions. So I'm going to show you a scripture that puts the, what happened at the cross into a nutshell. It's one verse. It says this, Romans 5:19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall the many be made righteous. Do you know what the word made means? Well, let's look at it in the Greek. In the Greek, it is a word called kathistemi. And if you see the definition there, it says to place down, parentheses, permanently. That is to designate, constitute, convoy, appoint, be, conduct, make, ordain, and set. What it means is to put into place, to place down. In other words, if I take you for one place and I set you down somewhere else, <laughs> okay, that's what it means. But the word permanently is in parentheses. So in the strictest definition, it means to put into place. But to understand the fullness of that word, it means to put into place permanently. We have been permanently placed at the right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ. We have been permanently made righteousness. We have been permanently put into a new covenant. Made has a past tense connotation. It doesn't say the many will be converted into righteousness over time with good works. <laughs> doesn't say that. He says, I have made you righteous. Now, you may think, well, does it really mean permanent? 
Well, if we look at the first part of that verse, by one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners. Made sinners. And actually, many means all. He's using a literary style here. Because everyone became a sinner when Adam sinned. It was irreversible. Made is a finished product. Everyone was made sinners. When we come to Christ, he's the one man who has the obedience, and we accept what he has done on our behalf. He has made us permanently righteous in Christ. You can't undo what's been permanently finished. It is a finished righteousness. It is a finished work. It is a finished marriage covenant. We are his bride permanently. Jesus has made us permanently righteous. And when we get the revelation that we are completely secure, Jesus will never divorce me. When I know my righteousness is permanently in place, I will quit trying to fix myself. I will quit trying to make myself something I think I should be. And I'll just let Jesus make me what he wants me to be. I'll let him do the work in me and through me. And I'll quit coming under the condemnation of never feeling like I can succeed. If I stop making rules and regulations for myself, Jesus will take me higher and farther than I ever thought I could go. I will look more like him if I quit trying so hard and let him be in charge. You know why Jesus likes us to know that we have completely died? and that we have been completely risen to life, and we are completely secure in him. Because when we realize that, he gets to be in charge. And that was always his heart from the beginning. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that you have, you have killed me off, and you have risen me to new life in Christ Jesus. And I am your bride, and I am your righteousness, and I am your beloved, and you do think I'm cute. You do think I'm wonderful, because when you look inside, you see yourself. I look just like you. I thank you that you clothe me in righteousness. You clothe me in holiness. You clothe me with your beauty forever. No matter what I do, my righteousness is not undone, because it's a gift that you have given me. And I thank you, Father, for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.